0: Hmm? Ah! Oh. And for the record, it's not just the narrative bones that are identical. You've plagiarized our stories, our, our identity. It's not plagiarism, it's supply and demand. But if you're asking, can you trust a carne, The real question is, can you trust yourself?
1: Konichiwa, everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm David. <laughs> this is West Worldcast episode ten. We will now do the whole episode in Japanese.
0: <laughs> I wasn't. I couldn't even get in on Konichiwa. You took the only word I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Domo arigato.
0: Yeah. Do itashi <laughs> What's weird. that from? Um, we've huh? now. We've now. Do itashi You're welcome.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I did. I, I I'd heard that, but I didn't. I didn't yeah. know it.
0: that's it no i could (laughs) be i I might even be wrong about that people are laughing at us right now i'm sure (laughs) especially japanese people
1: yeah well let's get into uh the episode it's our top five highlights for westworld season two episode five uh, kane no mai did you like it
0: uh i did very much Mm -hmm. um I, i will continue to say that this season is different from the last Mm -hmm. In flavor. And it's a little more all over the map. Uh, And I'm finding the episodes are not as tightly woven. So I'm finding more than I did in the first season that I like some parts better than others. Mm hmm. Um, rather than it just being a, a really tight tapestry. But I did really enjoy it. I mean, we were looking forward to Shogun World for a long time, and I think it did not disappoint.
1: I know. And that's saying something, because for me, a lot of times, if I build my hopes and expectations up too high, that just kills it. And I think they did an incredible job of just presenting this luscious looking you know environment and everything and drawing us into it
0: yeah and it really wasn't that extensive if you think about it i mean of all the different things that have gone on in the west world part of the park we didn't see too much of mm-hmm. shogun world it was a few different locales uh, but sure. yeah they made it rich there was attention to detail yeah um it was cool and then the the whole storyline was really fun
1: yeah, it was okay. Well, let's get into our top five. What's your number five?
0: Um, so we're in it already. My top five mm-hmm. is *Shogun* World, mm-hmm. low hanging fruit. Um, so I just thought it was interesting the way they drew the whole world uh, and the whole atmosphere that was created. Um, so it, it made me want to look up a little bit about that history of that period of Japan, the Edo period, about which I don't know much. What I learned on the interwebs is this is 1603 to 1868. Uh, and I think from what we were given to understand, we're at the early end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tokugawa what, what, Shogunate. I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it, we certainly weren't on 1800s technology. yeah and then a couple comments they made like um the the shogun was commenting on consolidating power and that sort of stuff and that was at the very beginning got it uh, of the shogunate so
1: yeah and this uh these kinds of uh different events that were happening or um patterns led to a more stable period but this feels like things were still kind of disjointed
0: yeah, and just starting to get there. So what mm-hmm. actually happened in real history is eventually this shogun united essentially the country, mm-hmm. you know, with still some holdouts. Um so the the division of power was the shogun had the power and the emperor had the prestige. Right. So there was still an emperor that had all the trappings of that position. Um but the shogun really had the force and that that lasted for over 200 years in Japan, about 250 years. Uh, So I I just thought that was an interesting contrast to Westworld, um, the Wild West, which was a very chaotic and unstable society that did not last very long. Uh, So in that way, it's, you know, it's quite a different and, and Lee Sizemore and the events in Shogun World paint it as very chaotic and violent. He talks up how violent it is, Uh, but societally it's more structured and stable than west
1: mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe in, for entertainment value the park itself played up like maybe the violence in at the time was more rare because of the structure but in shogun world it's less r- rare than in
0: reality could be i mean i think that was a violent period in the history um but it's not like the wild wild west mm-hmm. anything goes you know there's societal roles and stuff lawless so, yeah Right, so and I was interested in the distinction of the the three types of soldiers that we saw. So there's the samurai, which is like the shogun's army, uh, which is essentially a military nobility. Uh, and then we got to see some ninjas, always fun, uh, mm-hmm. who are kind of like covert agents, uh, mercenaries, like um, sort of spy special forces almost. Assassins, yeah. Yeah, and then... You have your ronin, um, which means drifter or wanderer, which is a samurai who is lost as master who doesn't have a master. Mm -hmm. So that was all pretty interesting. I thought it would be, if you were a guest, um, it would be very fascinating and just very different to visit than Westworld. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was thinking at first, this is for Japanese people, right? Because it's all in Japanese or you would have to speak the language. Um, But then... Lee Sizemore was saying something about the hosts have all the languages, so maybe they can tailor it to the guest. What did you think about that?
1: Yeah, because at some point I think he said something like, since they didn't start speaking English immediately when they heard us, then something is wrong. So That's right, he did say that. Yeah, that the, the norm is for them to tailor their language to the guests. And that
0: would be why they would have to know all the languages.
1: Right. And I think that, um, mostly is just, well, I guess it it totally does make sense, but also I think the showrunners probably really relished the idea of having a lot of this episode be spoken in Japanese just to have that more authentic feel, which I like too. I like the subtitles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's funny about that is, um, I know I'm old enough. You probably are to remember the era where a lot of foreign language movies, made by Americans were just an accent. Like German would be a person with a German accent. <laughs> Jap- Japanese would be a person with a Japanese accent. That's just never done anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it seems, or, like, Which is a great change.
1: Or a lot of dubbing going on of foreign language movies that right. showed over here. Right. <laughs> Goofy <laughs>
0: sounding. <Yeah. laughs> but, and then there were still a custom, a couple of accustomed Westworld movies details we heard paint it black played in yeah. of a japanese style and then we love heard it. the west world incidental music played on the samisen it, it was great i love i have the, that the here costume. do you? you want me to play
1: it yeah yeah here it goes
0: So great. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh, man. I loved, I loved everything loved it. about it. Just the mm-hmm. actors, the costumes, the whole mm-hmm. the whole scene.
1: I think the actress it. who played Akane, I don't think she speaks English. So that's kind of cool.
0: It is. I read that. I, um, and the one other thing that it made me wonder was, so we've seen three of the parks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know there are at least six because we heard park six unless one of these has replaced one that, you know, didn't work or was changed, but I'm assuming that means there are at least six.
1: I think so on the, hopefully this isn't a spoiler for anybody, but if you go to the Delos website, it shows three other squares for parks that uh, we haven't three, seen yet. three, four and five. Yeah.
0: Right. So are any of the parks still operating normally so far? We're three for three in uh, um, robot rebellion.
1: Yeah, how is Simpsons World going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I, that's it. it. I would guess not. It seems like it's, yeah, but who knows.
0: But it would be interesting to see one that was, like, still going. Yeah, just fine. Yeah,
1: I mean, the interesting thing about this episode was it really drew you back into a, a, a real story of the park. And this time Maeve was the hero, but... She, she chose like, Lee's like, why don't we just get out of here? And she, but she was engaged. wanted to save Sakura. And so I kind of got drawn into it too. That was, that was kind of cool. I mean, you kind of think, oh, we're past that because now the robots are aware, but you can still get drawn back into these storylines.
0: Well, and it's, it's a good point you make. It's funny to see Maeve get drawn into it. Like a guest.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh. My number five is almost exactly the same as yours. It's just the Japanese ambiance and environment. And I loved it. And I liked the little details, the different weapons and arrows and the robes and the studded armor and the white face paint and lanterns, rice paper, window panes, the hair and the buns and even the dance that Akane did. And the music and all of that stuff just really, really drew me in. I like novelty, so it's nice to, it made me feel like, you know, I think I'd rather go to Shogun World than West World, and I don't know how much of that is just because it's new, but I, I think I am more interested in Asian culture than the Old West, actually. I
0: don't know. Yeah, Shogun World seems a little more interesting. Maybe it's because we know less about it yeah it might be <laughs> and I don't mean just in the show but just you know any American right. grows up with the old west
1: yeah we don't learn Asian history very much at all in school or anything like that
0: it's funny uh, to think like that the Edo period in Japan you know say okay it's about 250 years that's like how old our country that, is yeah that's the same age <laughs> as our entire country right. um, and it's just like a little slice of their history yeah
1: yeah, they they go back thousands of years. Uh, I was really stoked to see the ninjas. And uh, I like one thing that's different about Shogun World is, and Lee mentions it at some point, how um, Maeve is the one at first who's getting impatient. And he says something about it's like Westworld, where uh, this is the foreplay for the story, but the difference is that here you need to show what was it show respect, or else you could get killed. Basically, yeah. So it's just, it's about saving face and different that kind of thing is important, like not shaming anyone or and the rigid structure and all that. And so, like a ninja, I read is um, deemed dishonorable and beneath the samurai because of their methods. They're less forthright. And, and the ronin, I think one of the samurai called Musashi a ronin scum, because I guess he has no lord, probably.
0: Well, and a lot of ronin ended up being uh, hiring themselves out to maybe less than reputable organizations or being bandits yeah. or stuff like Mercenaries. that. Mercenaries. So they had an unsavory reputation.
1: Mm-hmm. But I loved all that stuff. You said most of most of the stuff I was gonna say. I, I just thought it was cool also to see that our characters dressed up in their Japanese duds towards yeah, the end of it. For sure, that was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one other Japanese thing I think I caught is when Mae was presenting this golden statue to the shogun, her voice went up, the um, tone, and I think, or the pitch, and I think that that was a signal of deference. Ah, Did you notice that? I did not. She was talking more like this. Yeah, it was interesting because her voice is a little bit low normally. Mm -hmm. And then I liked, this is only a little bit related, but when Sylvester said, captured by samurai cop killers, fuck me. And then to Felix, he goes, can't you say something to them? And he goes, I'm from Hong Kong, asshole.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Yeah. So that was good. All right, number four. All right, you led me right into my number four, which is comic <laughs> <Nice>. relief. <laughs> so that definitely was a funny moment. And then, uh, I mean, Lee Sizemore continues to be yeah. quite entertaining, um, and he gets a lot of funny lines. But it amused me to no end that he kept being surprised, like Shogun's <laughs> army never comes into this town. This doesn't usually <laughs> yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> shit, ninjas. <laughs> So I mean, he's comic relief. Sylvester definitely is comic relief.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, the lasso I even found line it a little,
0: me. yeah, yeah. I even found it a little bit of comic relief when he stole the radio from the dead uh, soldier. I was like, this is just not going to end well for him. <laughs> <it never> <laughs> right, bad news there. Yeah, <laughs> and it also uh, was funny that Hector was. You could see how jealous he was of Musashi, like his counterpart was kind of cooler than him like he just a better, didn't,
1: didn't like him at all
0: yeah had a had a better uh costume maybe a better weapon um so that there was more humor in this episode it, as violent as it was than they usually give you
1: in the show. yeah and it was good I thought yeah what did he say uh I have it here somewhere um he goes lee says if you're asking can you trust akane the real question is can you trust yourself because they're doppelgangers and then hector comes you know who i don't trust that guy musashi him say the word and i'll skin him like a rabbit and uh i'm just like thinking well this is like that age old question if you met yourself would you get along with yourself (laughs) right (laughs) sometimes not i think the chances are low (laughs) Yeah, I don't I me too, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Maybe at first it'd be fine, but yeah. Give it a day or two. <laughs> okay, my turn? Yep. Well actually, yeah, that goes right into mine, which is mirroring. There's so much mirroring yep. in this episode and that scene when they first walk in and somebody says, Hey, this looks familiar. Well, that's because it's a direct mirror of a scene in season one, episode one, when Hector and Armistice, I think it's probably the first time we see them, they ride into town and start shooting everybody. And that's when we first heard the West world version of Paint It black with piano and everything. And, um, they're, blowing everybody away. Well, this time it's uh, Musashi and his, I don't think we got the girl's name, but they're shooting everyone with arrows uh, in In that first scene. Teddy gets killed. I went back and watched it again. I didn't remember that in front of Dolores and, and she's really broken up about it. Such a different character back then. Um, that's another mirror to this episode actually, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. And then there's one of, Hector's guys corners Clementine in the bar and says something like, why don't we just take this bitch for ourselves? And then Maeve shoots him through the back of the head, boom, and his face explodes Mm -hmm. this time. It's the guy uh, saying it to Sakura and Maeve stops it again, but this time by shooting up into the air and she goes, I know how the story ends. So Maeve has gotten less brutal while Dolores gets more brutal Yes, and That's I'm sure we will talk about that. Yeah. So, but I was thinking about that because watching that scene, I remembered that Lee was. Looking down through their camera systems or whatever, getting all excited because when Hector goes outside, he's going to deliver this amazing speech oh, that Lee wrote. Right. <laughs> and then the, 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 one the of the guests gues shoots, shoots him, him in them. the head. Goes, oh, so I thought, oh, maybe we'll get to hear the Japanese version. But then um, after. Maeve disrupted the scene. It didn't continue on. So we didn't get to hear it this time either. I wonder if so he got Lee disappointed was disappointed again. again. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so that whole scene was a mirror. Uh, there we have these counterparts. Maeve's counterpart is Kane. Hector is Musashi. Clementine is Sakura. Armistice is this woman who, instead of a snake tattoo, I think she has a dragon tattoo and even said uh, something like, even a snake can prove itself a dragon when she freed Armistice. Right. Because dra- dragons don't are a little more this. honorable. Yeah. yeah, don't make me regret this. So that was that was pretty
0: cool. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I thought um, this whole mirroring was one of the best things that's happened in the whole show. It was very <laughs> clever. Yeah. It was very cleverly done. And it was funny. I mean... Yeah um Lee super says, cool something new a little and different. bit from Westworld you tried yeah. writing 300 stories in three weeks <laughs> so basically he's saying that like he plagiarized Westworld from himself yeah. and
1: the only thing about that is if you're a guest maybe I don't know maybe this doesn't happen but you would think some of the guests like to try the different worlds out so they might feel a little bit gypped
0: yeah maybe and maybe they could tailor it knowing who's in there or yeah what have sure. you. yeah but um but all of those same things rendered in a cool japanese style like the butterfly pattern mm-hmm. um which represented the mariposa all really well done and also funny at the same time where they sort of realize that uh, it kind of reminded me of that seinfeld episode where they all have
1: done- <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> it it reminded me a little bit have you ever read the dark tower series i have not it, Stephen King has this, uh, it's actually a gunslinger. Maybe that's why, because yeah. the main character. I
0: saw like the movie Easter version club. they made of oh. The Dark Tower, which was not good. Horrible. Yeah,
1: no good. But uh, it's these disparate characters walking into different themed genre worlds in the books. And so it's kind of similar. A couple other mirroring things. Uh, Akane talking to Sakura towards the end repeats Maeve's speech about this is a new world and you can be whoever you want, but it was a different spin on it because usually when Maeve said that she was trying to seduce people into going out of their comfort zones and doing something crazy. And this time she's trying to inspire hope for Sakura that you can get through this.
0: Right. And it's interesting that you, you mentioned Sakura mirroring Clementine And I think, yes, that is the equivalent character. But I think really Sakura, in terms of moving the story ahead, mirrors more Maeve's daughter.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, yeah, once you get past that first scene of the guy trying to get creepy with her, I don't know that you would have this kind of a story with Clementine where some powerful person in Westworld would try to buy her for himself. I don't know what the equivalent to a Shogun would be, you know, something. And it didn't seem
0: like Maeve cared about Clementine that much.
1: Yeah. I mean, she was definitely thinking about her daughter now. Uh, Just the idea of Shogun world copying Westworld seems like kind of a reverse of what we have in our society because the spaghetti Westerns that Clint Eastwood started in and other movies like that were, Copies of older samurai movies like, uh, Akira Kurosawa, mm-hmm. the, the magnificent seven, I think is modeled after the seven samurai. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I got to go back and watch. I've never went back and watched any of those Japanese movies. Have you,
0: uh, just the seven samurai.
1: I got to check that out.
0: Yeah. Um, just, you just reminded me, I recorded the other day, my favorite Western of all time which is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, So that'll make a good backyard movie one night. You're invited. Absolutely, yeah. uh, That's, I think, as good as it gets, and it's in part of that Clint Eastwood trilogy, Mm -hmm. Fistful of Dollars and for a few dollars more, and The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But I I just kind of was looking at it in a different way after being immersed in Westworld. It was kind of funny to watch an actual Western. Mm Mm-hmm what can you say like kind of, well, I mean just where that whole world is taken seriously, like here it's all mirrors and analogies for other things and exploration of consciousness. And, and there it's at face value. Yeah. Those stories and battles are actually playing out.
1: Yeah. With this, all the actual stakes of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were a couple other mirroring, like Teddy having a drink in the bar saying, ain't doing any good sitting in that bottle. That was more of the typical Westworld looping with different iterations. Yes. Or Clementine hearing her replacement saying, not much of a rind on you. And then she kind of seemed to have a reaction to that that was sad because she's not herself anymore.
0: Right. She wanted to react to it, but couldn't quite. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing about the um, mirroring, and this actually was from a review I read of this episode in Forbes by Danny DiPlicito, but just put it well, I thought, said, uh, it's an amusing reveal that highlights the fact that even a high-tech park full of sentient robots and magic bullets doesn't care to create original content, focusing instead on collecting user data. What a depressingly realistic dystopia. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're too lazy to, to create anything new. It's basically a sequel, and we're here to like get your email address <laughs> and your advertising preferences. Yeah,
1: I know. I wonder um- – I feel like half of the reason why they did that was just because it was so cool to see these characters walk through a mirror image of situations they'd been in before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, otherwise, maybe they would have had the stories be more original in the other park. Right. But I don't know. It is sort of, it does fit in with the cynical nature. But I of think the it went
0: along with the... I am lightening up that some of this episode did because it's just funny.
1: Yeah. It's funny
0: that he copied it from, you know, the other stuff he wrote was too lazy to write a new story and probably not imaginative enough to come up with all these different stories anyway. Right. And uh, the first season of the show was so heavy. It's fun. I think that they lighten it up a little bit.
1: It, it's interesting, like this episode where you have this poor woman in servitude being stabbed to death, impaled. Is that how she died? Yeah. yeah. And just like lots of eviscerations and things like that with lots of gleaming guts everywhere. It turns out to be maybe the lightest episode of Westworld. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's where the bar is on this one.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, number three. Uh, that was my number three. Was the um, the alternate versions of Maeve, Hector, mm-hmm. and, uh, Armistice and Armistice and the Mariposa. So we talked all about it. So okay, your turn.
1: My number three is Maeve, and feel free to um, jump in here if you've got a lot of stuff on her. But uh, I think this is this might be my favorite Maeve episode so far, and in part it's because of her. Her I just loved her attitude through the whole thing, like especially the part where Lee wanted to ditch this whole thing. And she said, uh, you can't keep doing this to us, giving us people to love and then being upset when we do. And so she's really settled on this thing that, yes, I know that these stories were created for us, but they're just they're real to me. And maybe that's all that matters. I'm and going then, with it. Yeah, And that just makes me feel, feel, you know, I've read a lot of self-help books back. I went through a kick a while back. And part of that is that, you know, we tell ourselves stories about our life and who we are. And sometimes we need to decide which ones of those stories aren't working for us and and ditch them. And they're not quite as set in cement and stone as we might think they are. That You know, a lot of times we think that's just the way it is, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of similar to what the way it is with these hosts, like maybe they can, they can pick and choose. And just because like in our own lives, if something feels like just the way it is, well, that might've been foisted upon us by our parents or our, our circumstances in, in history that we don't have to accept. But kind of the corollary to that is for, for Maeve, if she wants to choose to have to accept part of her story, even though it was created by someone else, she should be able to if these hosts are just as valid of beings as we are, I guess. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And it's this like this whole thing of the new world and you can be whatever you want, Yeah, uh, which was not really true for her when it originally was a line written for her. But it might be true now.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, I remember I was at this party. And uh, I was with some friends who had really good taste in, in finding new music that is off the beaten path and no one's ever heard before. But that also meant that they can get a little snotty about pop music. And so Beck came on this really good Beck song. And my, one of my friends was like, hey, this is really good. And my other friend was like, this is all over the radio. <laughs> and you know, just like disparaging it, right. and I'm like, well, so what? If it's good, just because it's popular, doesn't mean that you have to decide not to like it. Kind of feels like that with uh, Maeve where people were like, "Dude, I wrote this story for you," and she she's like, "Well, I don't care. It's it's my daughter, and I love her, and I want to find her."
0: Yeah, I don't care if it's the pop tune.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I still like it. Uh, but anyway, so what about her powers? Do you want to? What did you think about that?
0: I'm not sure what to think about that yet. So certainly it was interesting and it was a new development in the story, but not, I thought a really shocking one, Mm -hmm. you know, they've hinted at her having power over the other hosts already. And I just kind of assumed that since they're in essence, electronic creatures and they, we've already seen instances of nonverbal communication between them. Mm -hmm.
1: And heard about this mesh network and everything.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, remember Ford controlling thousands of them at a stroke Mm -hmm. and which obviously was not with verbal commands. So I didn't find it shocking. I mean, one thing I wonder with this show and the bar is so high is like, are they going to be able to keep this interesting? Because they've kept up a pretty high pace of interesting puzzles and reveals. And if it gets to the point where they're just too powerful and can control everything, and it's too actiony, I think the show is going to get less interesting. So mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see how they can keep this interesting if she suddenly can just has control over everything in sight.
1: Yeah, and they they um the way that they limited that in this where because she wasn't speaking Japanese, it didn't work. I w- I'm not so sure if I liked that, you know, at first with with uh Musashi,
0: yeah I, d- I didn't love it either, and I didn't love that it was verbal commands that mm-hmm. she was controlling with it didn't quite seem to jibe with what I expected at least it was a little cheap when that was going on, I wrote in my notes
1: Mave is like a sorceress would be better or more useful if she could beam commands via Wi-Fi and then <laughs> <laughs> right and then and it then turns kinda, out yeah she did and uh, so I'm like oh I think that's exactly what it was but uh they made it out like it was something a little more um, ma- Matrix-y, like it could almost be supernatural. I-, I don't think it is. I think that's just how it felt.
0: Yeah, and they, there still was a verbal component. So although she was not speaking out loud, you were hearing the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't sure if they were just representing that for us or that's actually how it works. Right. Um, you know, a lot of this, the first season revolved around a voice in their head. Um, the bicameral mind, uh huh. So, is the way it works, Maeve becoming the voice in the head of another,
1: right? Yeah, because if it didn't work that way and it was more just sending digital commands or something, then it would be harder, maybe, to have that be represented. But yeah, it's not clear if either way. I, one thing I really enjoyed about it was she seemed very anxious and, and wrapped up in the moment. And then all of a sudden her whole body shifted and she became calm and her face was relaxed and her eyes were open and steady, like almost meditative when she was using that, what looked like te- telepathy a couple of times. And I really liked that.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing they did a little bit of a sleight of hand on the story and I kind of forgave this cause I think it was, a device that basically worked, you know, but as I said earlier, I think this season is not as tight as the first one. And you're able to see some of the plot and story devices a little bit. So Maeve has all this sympathy for Akane, um, whose love for Sakura mirrors Maeve's love for her daughter. Mm -hmm. Right. And supposedly in both stories that were created by Lee, one was, plagiarized from the other but mave as the madam of the mariposa which is the equivalent is not where she had the love for her daughter it was as a different character mm-hmm. so it's not really parallel i yeah it's sort of parallel but not really i mean i wonder like mave
1: i wouldn't say she doesn't care about clementine i think she cares I don't know if she, maybe she doesn't care as much as Akane cares for Sakura, but maybe if Clementine were in danger like that, that Maeve might feel something about it.
0: Maybe in which case, um, yeah, I didn't think about that quite as much and you might be right. Uh, and I mean, he doesn't need
1: to parallel right. it exactly either, you know?
0: Right. I'm just saying that they are presenting it as they've written parallel stories here. Oh, I see. Yeah. But, um, you know, if it's true, really, that she would care for Clementine in the same way and feel protective of her, and maybe that is enough for, for her character, she would, then there's some heavy irony there, because what she doesn't know is that Clementine is really an empty shell. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if they meet again.
1: I know. And uh, I feel kind of bad for that actress if she never gets to... <laughs> to act pl- again. Be act again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Normal. I, I wonder. I mean, maybe yeah. we'll see Clementine again. A couple other things about Maeve. I thought it was interesting when she decided to start to try and wake Akane up to the reality of what it is to be a a robot, basically, and Akane resisted. And Maeve said, some things are too precious to lose, even to be free, which I think she meant if you do wake up, then you might realize that none of this is real and you might not want to lose that reality. I'm not sure,
0: though. Yeah, I, I thought that's what it meant. Okay. And I thought that was very interesting too, uh, because up until now it's, we've thought mainly about hosts trying to awaken, wanting to awaken. So it was interesting to see one react in such a way that, no, I don't want this or I can't handle it.
1: Mm-hmm. But it sort of makes sense because it's not always comfortable when someone threatens to destroy your conception of reality, I guess, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, uh, Not everyone's ready for the matrix.
0: No, it it literally could mean madness.
1: Right. Right. Uh, And then let's see. uh, The other thing that interested me is Lee was really impressed when Maeve was talking with the Shogun presenting that statue And I I didn't write down what she said, but he goes, did you just make that up? It was convincing. And I think that's kind of important because usually what we have is people finishing the host sentences because it's all been written down for them. So this feels like especially the writer himself going, oh, that's all new. It's just another um, indication that Maeve is really awake. Yep. And and her own person.
0: Yeah, that was cool.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And then the last question I have is I'm confused. Where do we know where Maeve's daughter is? I thought Maeve was supposed to be looking for her daughter. And so I thought maybe her daughter was in Shogun world, but maybe not. Maybe they just kind of got chased there.
0: Yeah. I don't think her daughter is in Shogun world necessarily. Uh, I Because they seem to end up there by accident. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, And then they got captured and, you know, marched off to the town and. It sort of all went awry from there. But yeah. did did you take it to mean that Lee thought the daughter was at Snow Lake or that they could find her from there? Because what he said was there was a way back into the tunnels from there. Yeah, I think he just wants to get out of
1: Shogun world. So, yeah, I think her daughter's not there. And even when Maeve was talking to Akane, she said something like, I have a daughter. You would like her if you met her. She's in this new world, like in your story. So, but I don't know. Does that mean? I mean, I think she's in Westworld. Maybe that's a new world for Akane. I guess Westworld would be new.
0: Yep.
1: <laughs> okay. Number two. Uh,
0: so we've talked partly about this already, but uh, my number two is the role of language in this episode. Mm-hmm. So one thing I thought was interesting about the moving into a different language, in this case, Japanese, which is quite different from English. It's a more ambiguous written language where the written characters can have several meanings depending on the context, you know, the characters. And interesting to me that apparently all the hosts speak every language which would seem to make sense from a utility perspective. They could deal with guests from you know all over the world, or maybe they could even switch worlds, but not clear how easily they actually could switch worlds uh, if they're Indian or Japanese or American mm-hmm. in the, the parks we've seen. But one thing that's always interesting to think about is how language shapes your consciousness. So uh, people who are truly bilingual are, you know, are thought to have some different ad- advantages, cognitive advantages from switching back and forth when they're young and training their brain in that way. Mm-hmm. But also maybe language shapes culture to some extent and vice versa. So it's interesting to think about the host speaking all these different languages, but mainly operating in one. Now that they are becoming conscious, does that shape who they are?
1: Does what shape
0: who they are? The The that language they that they're to- native in. Oh
1: yeah. I mean what, what this brings up for me is my friend, Dan, who is fluent in Spanish, though he's, you know, I grew up with him. He's native English speaker, but he just fell in love with Spanish starting in high school and moved to the border of Mexico and spent a lot of time. And I've noticed when he starts speaking Spanish, he seems like a a bit of a different person. He, his posture changes a little and he's more confident for some reason. And, uh, When he speaks English, he seems a little more hesitant, not about his work, his language, but just in his demeanor. And I really think it, it, it shifts his personality a little bit, depending on what
0: language he's speaking. Yeah. I mean, I do believe that. I think different languages have different character and they do shape the culture and the person to some degree. Yeah. So, um, these, you know, it's all the same technology, presumably in these parks, but the Japanese characters might be different from the Westworld characters because of the culture and the language.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I would hope so because if I'm going to pay $40,000 a day, I don't want it to just be the same thing with different skin, you know, different dressing
0: on it. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I want to feel the cultural differences and everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And will they carry those with them into the, uh, rebellion or whatever this new age is
1: right yeah their characteristics yeah i I would i like i I would hope so that they have one that they identify with more than the others that kind of shapes their being
0: yeah the other thing i was gonna say is that it's not totally clear to me um and maybe you have a different answer on this how dolores is controlling other hosts
1: uh did we see that i mean to me, it feels like
0: her gang. is. She's just bossing them around.
1: <laughs> yeah, because she's Wyatt. Yeah. And She's the
0: boss. But maybe, maybe they're, and maybe they're just scared of her.
1: But who knows? Yeah, she may have some of that magic that Maeve has too. She does have access to those magic iPads and she seems to know how to use them to change people's characteristics. So she might've bumped up her own. I don't know though.
0: Could be. Yeah, we never saw her do that. Right. One can assume that maybe she did. Mm-hmm. That
1: goes into my number two, which is about Dolores and Teddy. And we've been talking about how Dolores is different this season and, and maybe not as interesting. But this was, for me, the most interesting Dolores story so far. I found myself noticing more just the huge contrast in how she looks versus how she acts. She Not only is she beautiful And innocent looking, but she also seems cleaner than everybody else (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And she's so brutal and she's, she's a woman on a mission and I don't necessarily, I I don't know. She didn't seem quite as angry this time as she just did purposeful, I guess. Maybe that's because she wasn't dealing with any humans, but, um, the whole interaction with her and Teddy, I enjoyed the twists and everything. And even the sex scene, I thought it was well done with the soft piano and you couldn't hear them, but you could just kind of see, see them a little bit. It was sweet. And Teddy seemed more human to me than normal. I think they, they had him without his cowboy hat on and he wasn't talking in a drawl and he seemed more sincere and more aware. And they kind of trick you, which the show does a lot when, he's saying, you know what, let's just get rid of all this and go off and find our spot. We love each other. We've known each other forever for our whole lives. And then she tells him the story of, of the lost herd and her father who burned them. And I'm like, well, that sounds a little threatening (laughs) 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 for Teddy, but then they go off and they have that tender moment. So, And she goes, I've been thinking about what we talked about. So it makes me feel like, oh, maybe she she's come around and then there's something I need to show you. And she shows him the the dead cattle that's festering. And she said, I don't want you to become like this. So that made me feel like, okay, maybe in some part, at least in her mind, she thinks that the best thing for him is if he doesn't need to have to deal with what's about to come and i think what she did was wiped his mind basically because uh, on the screen it said warning overwrite existing file question mark theodore underscore flood so i'm guessing that she you know we saw earlier in the episode that they found a lot of the um those hosts that they found in the water um he was saying that a third of them were not not only just wiped but it was like they never had anything there to start with and one of those was Teddy we saw earlier so I think basically just kind of like on your hard drive when not when you just delete something and the data is still there and can be mined later by by like a disk saving program but if you securely override it you're setting everything back to zero so I assume that's what happened
0: Yeah. So I interpreted this whole storyline a little differently. Hmm. It it didn't turn out exactly the way I expected. I thought that Dolores was going to kill Teddy um, rather than remake him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remaking him actually makes more sense in a way because he can be useful to her. It's colder.
1: It is. It's like, get rid of all this emotional baggage and you can just serve me as a soldier.
0: Yeah. Maybe. So, uh, but I agree with you that he was waking up and he said, I, I'm still waking up to what I am. And if that means I'm free, we both are free to walk away. And uh, there's no way she's going to walk away. And I think no. we tend to forget. He was digging forget- his own grave yeah. by saying shit like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we tend to forget that she was always Wyatt because we saw her for so long as Dolores. Yeah. And she has this cold streak in her, although she, you know, part of her, I think, did care for him. Yeah. But uh, to me, I mean, the whole scene. She wanted se- to yeah.
1: have that last
0: night with him. I yeah, think, yeah. To me, like, the whole sex think, scene was just goodbye.
1: Yeah. Like she, boyfriend. if you, when you watch it the second time through, I feel like she's pretty damn sure how this is going to go down
0: right from the start of the episode. Yeah. Oh, I think she's very sure. It's all set up in advance. Yeah. And because she knew it from when he didn't kill the the leader of the Confederados. Right. You know, she made up her mind then. And I still think that maybe was a little bit of a test uh, yeah. of, of what he would do. Totally.
1: And when when he says, you know, what would you do with these cattle? Well, I would sequester them and, and try to, you know, nurse them back or whatever. And she touched his face and she goes, you're such a kind man. And I, I really felt like she was... Adoring of him, but also sad. You know, I love that about you, and it's too bad you're gonna have to die now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I I did look at a screenshot of what the qualities were that were adjusted in him. Oh, and see that increased to the max were tenacity, courage, cruelty, decisiveness, self-preservation, and coordination. And taken down to zero were empathy, patience, meekness, and humility. Oh, I did not see that. Yeah. So he's, he's not going to be a nice person to be around anymore. Gonna be, yeah. They, they did the opposite
1: to him. What they did to Rebus. Exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's sad, man. Cause I, you know, I, I've been thinking of Teddy as this clueless dolt and this was the first episode where I really felt something for him, I think, and felt like, oh, he's got potential to actually be someone I'd want to be around and hang out with and work with, you know,
0: and now that's all changed. (laughs) Yes. So I I had one other note about this, which was um, she mentioned blue tongue, a cattle disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was like, huh, what, what's that all about? So um, I went and looked it up and blue tongue is a, here's what I found. Blue tongue disease is a non-contagious insect born viral disease of ruminants, mainly sheep, and less frequently cattle, goats, buffalo, deer, antelope, and dromedaries. I just wanted to be able to say dromedaries <laughs> <in the show. laughs> um, Caused by the blue-tongue virus, BTV, it now would be treated with antibiotics. It says the mortality rate is actually pretty low, hmm. uh, although it takes animals a long time to recover. And it is spread by by bugs. But the interesting part to me was why would this whole incident even take place in Westworld where the cattle got sick? I mean, they're Android cattle, right? Yeah. Um, so it made me feel like that whole episode maybe w- was staged for her to learn something, you know, back when Ford was controlling the park or, mm-hmm. cause it's just a weird incident. Like, why would you have that happen for guests?
1: Yeah, it wouldn't really be that interesting of a story necessarily. Yeah. Help us save our cattle. <laughs> it it, right. it could also them, be
0: yeah. her backstory that never actually happened. That's actually a good call. And That's that another, might be more correct and might maybe it was just written in for her.
1: Maybe. And and that analogy, um, She said, daddy burned them the weak, the infected. And so the herd lived. And so I'm like, well, is that why, you know, she's going around killing a lot of these hosts. You're too weak. And I think that's, I wonder if it's a, if it's like this infection metaphor, then it's like, well, if you are not with me, then there's a chance that you will not only not help me, but you'll be a hindrance because you might turn some of these other people who are with me against me, you know?
0: Yeah. Or be recaptured to work for the humans.
1: Right. Which I thought that was a reason why she, well, yeah, she didn't really kill Teddy though. She's just turning him into something else. I thought maybe she would wipe him clean so that he would not have to suffer anymore, but I don't know. We'll see what happens with him. Um, a a question I had, so it sounds like they're going, they're looking for her for Abernathy too she said they're going to the Mesa and we're going home and that's where the Mesa is where this whole complex is inside where all the technicians and everybody watches what's going on in the park. But I guess, I don't know if that she means that or if she means they're going outside.
0: Mm. Well, I think she means we're going home where we were born. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Not sweet. Yeah.
1: Mm hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I guess that's all I had on that. What's your number one?
0: Um, so my number one revolved around the same thing, Dolores and Maeve, but, and we talked a lot about it. Just one more thing to say about this. So for Maeve, you know, I think we're meant to leave this episode feeling like she's the good one. Uh, even though what she does in the end is very violent. Uh, she uses her power to get all these samurai to kill themselves and each other. Um, so it's not totally benign. Mm-hmm. Um, she's still very dangerous, but ultimately it seems like they're drawing the contrast that Maeve wants to free the hosts to awaken and Dolores essentially wants to enslave them. Right. And she was humans. Yeah. She wasn't interested dominate. in really in Teddy's awakening, you know, unless it suits her purpose. Yeah. So I think we're draw we've now drawn a, almost an analogous uh contrast to Arnold and Robert Ford.
1: Mm, yeah. Mave's more like
0: Mave's more Arnold. like Arnold. Yeah. Um you know wake him up, let him have consciousness and freedom and Dolores is more like I'm going to control this world.
1: Yeah. She's focused on revenge.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And and and, and survival. Sure I think long-term sure survival. A- Of the species. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure there's a showdown coming between the two of them. I betcha.
0: It's gotta be the end point of this season, right? (laughs) It has to be.
1: (laughs) I think so. Okay. My number one is a few things about terms and tech and possible implications. One thing that became clear to me that I didn't realize probably a lot of people watching did already, but I didn't is when they talk about control units They're actually, I think they're talking about those little brains, those little plastic things. And so when Bernard says that Ford had him print a control unit for another human, he means I made one of those little brains that they were going to copy a human consciousness into. Gotcha. I think that's what it is. And uh, so they said about a third of the control units in these hosts that they found in the water were virgin as if they had no data to begin with. Well, it made me wonder why, why only a third? I don't understand that. Maybe that those, maybe Dolores did that for a reason. I guess we don't really know.
0: Yeah. And it made me wonder if that the third were essentially blank slate brain control units, waiting for a human consciousness to be imprinted upon them. It it seemed like Could be, in, yeah. last week in the lab that was destroyed by Bernard that there were the little red control units. Most of the yeah. ones we've seen are white. So I wondered too, are those different and are those intended for humans?
1: Yeah. One of the listener emails talks about that, but I think that's right. And then there's a, and one of the other texts told Strand that the host backups were all destroyed from the cradle. And I think we heard the term, the cradle in passing once or twice before that it was destroyed. And, um, first off, I thought it was good that they had the concept of backups. Cause have been thinking they should right back these things up, but they should not keep them all in one single place called the cradle. They should put them in redundant sites around the <laughs> world. <laughs> <laughs> right. but anyways this this cradle so on Delos website it says quote learn about the simulation technology that stores and tests all of our storylines the cradle Delos time capsule that ensures you get the immersive and dynamic experience you deserve so it sounds like the host characters exist in some form in a simulation I'm not sure if that's a physical simulation or inside a computer you know
0: like Dr. Moriarty in uh, star Trek, the next generation. I
1: don't remember. He was existing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah he like took over the, the ship deck. and
0: then they eventually trapped him in a simulation, but it was able to keep going so he could live out his life.
1: Yeah. Inside it. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And maybe they like refine their
0: behaviors in there or something like Karen, that. Karen, that mention was for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's smiling. So this term simulation got me thinking you know there's some weird things with bernard's story like two weeks later he's all confused for some reason this whole rescue crew has showed up but they've said several times they're not going to show up until they find abernathy and it seems like they haven't found him yet so there's that's an inconsistency he he doesn't have a scar uh Uh, i like where you're
0: going with this
1: yeah like and i don't remember that first scene when he met strand and he was like, Mr. Lowe, good to see you. Those circumstances are, and Bernard mouths at the same time, less than ideal. It's like, maybe Bernard's in a simulation.
0: That's a great thought. That's a delicious thought. <laughs> um, you know, they also, I was thinking also, they have this tool that can tell humans from hosts. Mm-hmm. And But on him, there seemed to be confusion. And then Stubbs came along and said, you're not going to shoot the boss, are you? But they never tested him. Right.
1: And if something, if that is true, then this season, probably even more than season one is going to be like watching a whole different show when we go back and watch it again.
0: Yeah. Things will mean something different than what you thought they meant. One other thing I was going to say about this too, going back a little earlier to Abernathy, that just that they were looking for Abernathy. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me this week because again, in the last couple episodes, they made it seem like Dolores loves her dear old Pap- Poppy, and you know she kind of has affection for Abernathy, her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, then this week, I more got the impression that she wants whatever's in his head, like whatever it is that uh, Delos yeah. is looking for. She knows that's important.
1: Yeah that seems to go along with how she's been lately more. Yeah. Cause she doesn't seem like the sentimental type at this point. She did with him though. She did seem that way. Yes. She did seem that way. I mean, I think I actually think she has both because she seemed like that with, uh, with Teddy too, but her definite priority are these more colder things.
0: Yeah. <clears throat>
1: All right. What about notes?
0: Uh, notes. Um, So you mentioned Carl Strand. I thought that was a little strange in this show um, because this show was almost all about the Maeve storyline and the Dolores storyline. But it started with Carl Strand and Bernard there. You know, so this thing comes up about the brains and then they never really go back to it. Yeah. Uh, And he says, how did all these disparate threads come together to create this nightmare? If we figure that out, we'll know how the story turns. A little bit of a strange thing to say, because he up till now has seemed like this in control guy that's seen everything. Um, so it doesn't seem like anything would be a nightmare so much for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless he meant the nightmare that they lost some of their IP. So it's just a corporate nightmare. <laughs> but sort of a weird line. Uh, and we see this sort of grim stone-faced Bernard, which is sort of the expression on his face he had when he killed the people and the robots in the lab. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't bad, but it, it was just a little weird sort of out of place scene.
1: Yeah. I, now that you mention it, I that's what made me feel like whatever Dolores was doing to Teddy m- must have related to that or otherwise why show it? Right, but now I'm not so sure because you mentioned those attributes. You know, uh, the the guy told Strand that they were like virgin brains that they'd never been used before. But and so I thought that's what Dolores was doing to Teddy. But it sounds like not. So then it makes me feel like, yeah, why did they have that scene? Yeah, I
0: she. I think she's creating an enforcer with him. So mm-hmm. we'll find out. But I think we don't right. know. I read um, a review on Vox that. I thought just what made a cool point. So I wanted to bring it up. This is Asia Romano writing for Vox and she's talking about the title of the episode. So she says it helps that the episode title Akane no Mai seems to be operating on multiple levels. Akane is both the color red and Akane's name, depending on the kanji used. Mai can mean dance, making the title Akane's dance or red Mm -hmm. dance Alternately, my could mean lost child or it can mean my own, mm. making the title something like Akane's own. In this context, my own might be referring to Sakura in the role of her daughter. But I prefer to believe, given this episode's themes of predetermination versus personal power, that it's referring to her own sense of agency. Perhaps Akane's choice is the meaning. Mm. Um, I just thought that was really interesting.
1: Yeah. It just makes me wonder how many shrooms Lisa Joy and Jonathan <laughs> Nolan take
0: before they write each episode. Oh my God. There's, I mean, I've never, I've never seen a show with so many multiple meanings. Of
1: stuff. I know. <laughs> yeah. Because the choice I felt was, I'm going to sacrifice all of us here by killing this Shogun because she, I, I think she thought that was a total suicide move and it just so happened that she had... A godlike being next to her that could help her out. Right. Well, that was a choice anyway.
0: Yes. So, and she had made a choice uh, to stab the the Envoy original. Right. And yeah, set that was the, the first off script thing. Yeah. thing. Um, so, last one for me, a um, couple of the actors in this episode. Musashi is an actor named Hiroyuki Sanada. Lost fans will recognize him as the guy from the temple with the baseball. Right. Um, he's also been in life and Wolverine. Uh, I just love that guy. I think he's great. He's just mm-hmm. charismatic and a great actor. I loved him in lost. I loved him in this.
1: Yeah. He has a good presence without having to do much.
0: Yeah. And then the actress that you mentioned, Rinko, uh, Kikuchi, who you mentioned, maybe doesn't speak English. Mm-hmm. She played a character named, um, Naoko in a 2010 movie called Norwegian wood. Uh, Now this is a movie I've not seen and I have not seen it for a specific reason, which is that it's pretty much my favorite novel. Uh, It's by Haruki Murakami, who is probably my favorite um, fiction author, you know, big famous author in Japan. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of his novels are very fantastical. Norwegian wood is the most normal. Uh, It's just a story about some, like, college-age kids, and one of them kills himself, and it's just a a poignant, heartbreaking story about these characters. And the reason I haven't seen it is I'm afraid to watch it, because I love the novel so much. Mm. Um, I'm just afraid somehow it'll ruin something about it for me. Yeah. But it's supposed to be a really good movie, and the preview looks really good. So maybe this will be the spur that gets me to go see it.
1: Yeah, if if it's well reviewed, that's something. Yep. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I know what you mean, though. Yeah, but anyway, I should have never
1: seen yeah. the Dark Tower movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like it totally ruined it for you. Maybe if it's yeah, that the books bad, weren't that just, great anyway. <laughs> yeah, And maybe if it's that bad, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Right.
1: Okay, uh, I just had a few. I, I like that Lee is seeming a little more writerly now, a little more formidable. He, he didn't seem smart enough to have created all that, but now we see he knows Japanese, and he seems pretty intimately knowledgeable about the details of this other world. So I was more impressed with him than than normal.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I like that yeah. his character got a little more... Um, a little more to it.
1: Yeah. And when he knew to suggest Snow Lake because that's Sakura's cornerstone and she just went right for it, it's like he really knows how to push the levers. Yeah. Cause he knows
0: what's back of those backstories.
1: Mm hmm. Uh, I, there, were, we should just mention that there was a Westworld version of Wu Tang Clan's Cream song. Um, What else? The Shogun, he was brain damaged like Bernard. He's got cortical fluid coming out of him. I'm not sure why. I don't know if he did that to himself, which is what I thought at first that, oh, he did that to himself because he knows that Maeve, it's going to be a way to block Maeve. Um, But then maybe he did. That was interesting to me, though, that it wasn't because he knew that she's awake, but more that, or at least, you know, he like uh, welded the... His men's ears shut, so she could—they couldn't hear her. That was because one of his men said that she was a witch with mystic command. So it was an in-story reason, but I'm not sure why he's broken.
0: No, and it's interesting that he is, uh, yeah. because you know he's kind of off the rails of his mm-hmm. safety protocols or whatever. So what about that? Um, it's not too—we haven't seen too many hosts get into the cortical fluid. Yeah, just two, so I think. What, and what happened there? It's not like some somebody attacked him. He's the yeah. most powerful figure in that world. Yeah, it's a mystery it. So uh, it's a good lap. little mystery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. I think that's good. Let's take a little break. There's more to come. Stay with us.
0: I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. Had second hands. mom's bounced on old man. So then we moved the all
1: right, we're back. It's time for the news. Interesting CNBC article on Westworld showrunner Lisa Joy about her the trajectory of her career. In 2007, she had just passed the bar exam in California after finishing her degree at Harvard Law School. And she took a consulting job with global firm McKinsey and company in San Francisco. But she also had had this hobby of writing screenplays and she had a dream of becoming a professional writer. And she even got some money for screenwriting software from Jonathan Nolan, who was her boyfriend back then. And she wrote this sample TV script that a friend passed along to Hollywood producer, Brian Fuller, who uh, was the showrunner of American Gods for the first season, among other things. And he was putting together a writing staff at that time for Pushing Daisies, which I've heard is really good. I never saw it. And uh, they contacted her and said, Hey, we like this. You got the job. And she was like, oh, that's amazing. Uh, Just give me a couple of months to finish up with this company. Then I can fly back to L.A. And they're like, well, it starts tomorrow. So if you're not there, you don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) And so she says she had to take this leap of faith, even though it was terrifying. And she uh, quit her job, took a huge pay cut and took the job. And she's been a writer ever since. She was on burn notice. She was the only woman writer on the staff. And then in 2013, J.J. Abrams approached the two of them, Nolan and Joy, about writing the TV adaptation for Westworld. So she quit her lucrative, boring consulting job and followed her dreams. Makes you feel
0: like you've accomplished a lot in your life, haven't? Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I know. First I, thought I about- went, first, I got a Harvard master's degree or whatever. went to work, Right. And then I wrote Westworld.
1: Yeah, I remember this dude when I was struggling in college where I was an English major. I met this guy who was a physics major, and he had a double major in English just for fun. I was like, fuck <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, he was
0: doing your the, your entire thing in his spare time. As an afterthought, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Esquire
1: interviewed Hiroyuki Sanada, who plays Musashi. He says, well, actually, it's almost like he wrote this article himself. He says, my role Musashi is the same name as legendary sword master in Japan. He's a real person. My character is just named after him, but he's a sword master. He was a samurai and he worked for the Shogun before. Now he's a Ronin, which means he's a masterless samurai. Uh, he's a hostile Musashi has an interesting relationship with the cast from Westworld. I was a big fan of season one, but I rewatched it to see what Hector had done because he's like a mirror. I'm so happy that they used the same music. I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm in the world dream come true. So he's all giddy about it, which is kind of funny to think about. It is cool. Given his stature They're fans too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he says they built a great open set. The, the Japanese village and the buildings were so authentic. They researched a lot. I'd worked with some of the crew before on movies or TV. So some came to me to ask if this was correct or what do I think for the costumes, the props. I gave them some ideas and suggestions as a Japanese-born actor as much as I could. I respect their work because they did a great job. But of course, in the show, it's a theme park in a Western country, and it's created by Western scientists. So we didn't have to be 100% authentically Japanese. It's a balance between authenticity and entertainment. And I think this plays on the whole thing about cultural appropriation and there's probably some criticism about the show having that, but I think you could say that it's the park that has it. If there's any of that, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. They have the perfect out on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, we are you know, it was these people who are creating it for tourists. Yeah.
1: These horrible uh, yeah. administrators of the park. Yeah. Uh, he says the weapon I stole from the sheriff was a soda Garami, a weapon used by samurai to catch somebody. Because we're wearing a kimono, it has fingers at the end, and if you thrust and twist, it will catch the kimono. It's a weapon for the police, in the same way Hector stole a weapon from the sheriff. That was the first scene for me to shoot. First time on set with the cast from season one. I was like a guest of the park. I know him. I know her. I thought that was kind of cute. Next, James Marston was interviewed at Vulture.com. Talking about Teddy, he says... To be the virtuous superhero like Superman isn't necessarily sexy. It's more exciting to relate to the bad guys or the dark side of some of the other characters. But I find that it's a nice ground to play in. I admire him. And I know it's not exciting all the time. Not to get all like social commentary, but we need people like that. I know that sounds corny, but it's a lot easier to be bad than it is to be good. Aw. T- <laughs> That's a
0: sweet James Teddy. James Marsden <laughs> sticking up for Teddy.
1: he says it takes a lot of effort i know that sounds corny again but i miss people like that i miss heroes like gary cooper like in high noon when everyone's against you and it's so easy to just drop your moral code so i admire him and i like that part of teddy well you don't have to play that anymore it sounds like (laughs) no they've cured you of that (laughs) about the love scene he says When we do our love scene, Evan, Rachel Woods, and I go, okay, well, we've seen each other's everything already from every given angle, so here we go again. We're sort of like, eh, no big deal now. Obviously, we kind of show up and go, oh, what kind of crazy bullshit do we get to do today? Like, oh, we have to take off all our clothes and lay with, you know, blood seeping out of our bodies, and oh, take off all our clothes again and get in bed together okay, now we get to go into a rotted meat locker and betray each other. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously she takes it very seriously and so do I, but in between those big gaps of time when they're setting up the cameras and moving locations, we try to keep it as light as possible.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There is some crazy stuff going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was in a play in uh, college and there was a lot of, heavy making out between me and a couple other women in the play and their boyfriends would come and watch the rehearsals and glare at me. That's awkward. (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) And it was pretty mechanical. Really. It wasn't as exciting as you might think. (laughs) All right. That's it for the news. Let's get into some listener feedback.
0: All right. Steve Brown says best quote, I don't need to know the language to know the puckered asshole of a man. When I see one <laughs> Caroline Ann
1: Collins says, so Maeve can only control hosts that are not awakened and not broken. I don't know if that superpower will be much use back in Westworld. Mm. And yeah, that's kind that's of what we're talking point. about. Like, yeah. Don't want her to be too powerful. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Um, From Pake Allen, I loved it. I'm wondering what the implications of Maeve's new host mind control power will be. Will it end up being used against Dolores? Can it be? Maybe Maeve will develop some sort of bond with humans and realize Dolores has gone off the deep end. That is another interesting question. Mm -hmm. At some point, is one of these hosts going to form an alliance with the humans? I mean, Maeve has a little bit sort of already with Lee. Right. And even um
1: Felix too. Yeah, that's true. But things shift on this show, so who knows?
0: They do, and something could go wrong, something could happen with their daughter, some you know, right. it could She's, shift in a heartbeat.
1: I mean, if she met up with the man
0: in black, I don't think she'd feel too good about that. No, and they must have encountered each other um when she was the Madam also. I'm guessing. Right. You yeah. know, that maybe she didn't remember it. But that their only encounter probably wasn't the deadly one.
1: Yeah. Kristen Hal, hello, Kristen says, I really think that Maeve is the only one who is truly awake. I'm behind in the podcast, so I don't know if you've covered this already, but I really think Dolores is following Ford's narrative still and is not to the level that Maeve continues to be. She didn't change until Ford uploaded the Wyatt narrative into her at the end of last season, and she is really ruthless, almost hateful, which is very similar to Ford's view on people. Maeve has controlled her own destiny from the beginning, and she knows she is essentially a program and capable of anything, as demonstrated in Shogun World last night. Can't wait for next week as usual. Love this season, but yeah, well, she did have Wyatt stuff going on earlier too, but, uh, I think, yeah, that's an interesting question.
0: Yeah. And originally Wyatt was at Arnold's purpose, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And Ford who didn't want the park to open. Um, but I, I think it's a good point too. Uh, You know, we've seen a lot of Ford's hand in all this, and Mm -hmm. he keeps coming back to speak to the man in black through other characters. So his effect is not gone. And I think it's a reasonable question. It
1: is. What I'd like to think is that they're both awake and they're just handling it differently as people would, you know? Yeah. Just as two different people.
0: Yeah. But we
1: don't really know yet. From, I forgot to boldface this next one. Sorry.
0: No worries. So, from Liza Urizari Alvarez, great episode. Four point five ninjas. Well, it might be a better rating system than we have. The <laughs> the teddies are not going to seem endearing anymore <laughs> after right. starting next week. Yeah, the more uh, teddies, the worse the episode. Yeah, four point five ninjas. Without the Dolores storyline, I would have bitten a perfect five. I love how Maeve and Akane's stories paralleled. Very tender scenes with amazing acting. My favorite scene when Armistice says, that's me. Very bizarro (laughs) world. And I liked when Lee was saying, uh,
1: you know, we shouldn't be here. You you get doppel bots together and... There could be aggression, or that, and points at armistice, and they're like doing this little ecstasy, staring into eye, gazing thing, yeah. or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. The mirror it's game. Cute. Yeah. Alicia Stout says this EP was insanely good and chock full of badassery moments. I mean, ninjas. Yes, my favorite this season so far. Music again, superb. Paint it black and slow shogun style was very cool. Also, my fi- new favorite word: doppelbot.
1: Robin Cooper Simon says, at first I thought Dolores was going to kill Teddy, and then I thought she was going to get pregnant, thinking of the opening credits. Yeah, what do you think about that? I wouldn't think so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question what that all means, if it's just symbolic, or should we take it literally? Um, But it hasn't really been hinted at so far that the hosts can procreate. right?"
1: She goes on, I always thought that was a reference to Maeve and her daughter, but it is an infant after all. Not really sure if this is a possibility. Probably not, but who knows? It seems like they're going to explore that in one way or another at some point.
0: Yes. Uh, Maybe at least the desire to have a child, whether Mm -hmm. it's possible or not. Um, Santos S. Sanchez says, loved it. Five teddies out of five. Shogun world is awesome. Five violent delights out of five. Nice. Can't wait for the next episode.
1: And Elizabeth Nikolaevitch says, interested in the source of Maeve's new voice. Teddy was in trouble with Dolores the minute he let the leader of the cavalry go. Seems Dolores decided suffering brings some type of optimal effect she thinks is necessary for Teddy's survival. He was easily dispatched with during the story each time. Dolores may be making a big mistake.
0: Probably. Interesting. So she's saying that um, not only she just wants him reprogrammed, but she wants him to suffer.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to. I don't think we can really know that until we see what happens next.
0: Yeah, and how he turns out. Yeah. From Laura F. Hey, I think I am late to this revelation, but I'm wondering if you also think that the word host to describe the robots in Westworld has been too cute from the very beginning. The robot bodies are not just hosting an experience in the park for the guests, but they are hosts for human consciousness. Hmm? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. And um, we certainly have been talking about that possibility, but I don't think we really talked about the word so much.
1: Yeah. That did occur to me last week that you can use that word to mean that. Yeah. I want to see more exploration about that. We didn't really get much this week.
0: Yeah, and interesting, too, that if it's a host, you might think of the human consciousness as a parasite.
1: (laughs) Sometimes I do. Uh, Shane Yap says, hey, Jason and David, just in the middle of your episode, wanted to clarify that Lab Bernard or Arnold and Elsie were in with Jim Delos is a different lab, lab number 12 than the one Bernard and Charlotte were in in the earlier episode, lab number 14. The lab in this episode, episode four, last week, has Jim Delos. The previous one did not. I either at least 14 labs across Westworld in different locations. Don't know if you've got to it by the end of the episode because I'm still listening, but keep up the great work. No, we didn't. And a few people wrote in mentioning this and thank you. This is a
0: collaborative effort and we appreciate that. So yeah, two different labs. Yeah, and we need the help and we also need to be more observant. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it. yeah, I, you're right. We do. There was a little voice in the back of my head saying maybe they're different, but I just didn't listen to it. I should listen to that voice. Yeah.
0: And like many things in the show, it was kind of obvious in retrospect. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Like we would have noticed, um, old man Delos there. Right. Right. If he had been there, um, Alex Matijo says, hey, thanks for giving me credit on the show this week. You're welcome. Wanted to write in again. Sounded like you guys still had some question on the Bernard shenanigans going forward in this episode as well. And I had a couple other comments. First, I'll comment on the control units host brains. The white ones control units are for hosts. The red control units that look like the ball Bernard prints in the flashback. Then once prepared for installation, they look like the red cupcake type things the drone hosts are preparing in the lab. These cupcake brains are additional Jim Delos brains for their next attempt, etc. And Jim is the prototype effort for the Delos Immortality Project that they want to turn into a product to sell to super rich. But Jim defunded the research, all the money spent on him. So until they get it right on Jim Delos... They can't move forward with moving it to a service they can monetize. They got to get him as the prototype correct first. So Ford sent Bernard to this lab to print a red brain cube thing, a human brain control unit for someone else, not Jim Delos, but we don't find out who it is. But yeah, the regular hosts have white brains control units. The special lab is for printing human host hybrid ones, red brain control units. Um, so I, I didn't interpret it exactly that they were all for Jim Delos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We don't really know for sure. I don't right. Think. Because yeah. of the time scale, But I, I think we did get to this realization this week at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with all that. Um, continuing on. Also the fidelity meeting William is conducting with Jim Delhost. host. <laughs> That's funny. Is forcing the truth about his new existence as a host. All of these fidelity meetings are before Williams, Man in Black's journey for the maze, before he learns from Ford and Dolores that the maze must be a journey inward that the host takes to find consciousness and will result in madness if the truth is forced upon them. So he's been going about it the entire wrong way for years and years as Ford watches knowing they aren't going to crack the problem.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So I I think he's saying if you try to force, if you try to make them aware of it rather than letting them come to it themselves. So, I mean, but you're talking about two different things though. One is about the hosts that are entirely synthetic. We presume, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe not. And the other one is um, Jim Delos, which is a hybrid, but maybe it's still the same solution for him to,
0: Maybe he has to figure out what he is himself. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. The sentience is a little different there. If it's a human yeah. consciousness implanted. Yeah. Um, so, but Ford has cracked Arnold's maze shown through the events of season one as he puts Dolores through the journey test. And that's why he sends Bernard to grab a red brain ball control unit for his own means. I think he means to make Dolores a real girl like a Pinocchio parallel, although many people say it may be a Ford control unit to bring himself back to life. <laughs> so I was about to say that before it was the next line. I mm. mean, I mean, Ford yeah. puts himself above everyone else in value, pretty much, um, or capability, or whatever. Kind of looks down on everybody around him. So I would think if he's bringing one of these things into use, it's to create another one of him. Mm. Just a theory. Uh, But I think it's an extension of his experiment with Dolores consciousness breakthrough by turning her into a real girl. I'm not putting all my hope in this theory here. Just trying to think outside the box different from what others are thinking. I'm prepared to be wrong. LOL. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. I don't really buy into the Ford Dolores consciousness breakthrough experiment. He seems kind of contemptuous toward Dolores. Or did. I don't remember a lot of his anything that would indicate. Remember, they seemed like almost enemies at the end of season one where, you know, he said, you're lying to me. And uh, I don't remember. I know she shot him in the head. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Maybe he didn't really intend that. <laughs> and yeah, the whole question of having the copy versus original brings into question. The first scene conversation of this season between Bernard or Arnold um, I think it's Arnold and Dolores, where he said, reality is something that can't be replaced. Delos Inc. is now trying to replace the original person who has lived and died with a copy. And this relates to Christopher Nolan's movie, The Prestige, which goes to a really, really dark place with that concept. Um, yeah, I think we talked about The Prestige a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I still haven't seen that. I got to see it. Highly, <laughs> anyway. highly recommended
1: some good stuff there Alex his email was about at least twice as long as this but I included a lot of it I think that's a lot to chew on for now but that was great yeah good stuff Right, that is our show, episode ten. Thank you for listening, everybody. I wanted to mention that my friend Brian Malash is editing this episode, and he, uh, well, I don't think he's going to be available for editing work anymore because he just got a job. But anyway, he has podcasts at Star Trek Discovery Podcast.com and Walking Dead Nice. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at Westroll at Podcastica.com.
0: You can send a voice message to Westworld at podcastica.com and maybe we'll play it on the air.
1: Yeah, we haven't gotten any voice messages in a while since. I mean, guys, we like those. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast.
0: And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Next
1: week, we have Westworld Season 2, Episode 6, Phase Space, which I think is a great title.
0: It is. And our, does that mean we're going to get Space World? Oh, Awesome. Or, well, probably not, but a man can dream. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. この暴力的な喜びは暴力的な終わりをもたらす。<laughs>